You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Bruce Springsteen wrote a song called Long Time Coming. And before performing it on Broadway, he told a story about his dad, who wasn't around very much as he was growing up. The story he told on stage was that in the days before Bruce's first child was born, his dad drove 500 miles unannounced and knocked on his door one morning. He and his dad sat down to have a breakfast beer at 11 a.m., and this was all very unexpected, a rare occurrence for his dad, who was not a talkative man, nor one to drive 500 miles unannounced. Eventually, during the course of their breakfast beer, Bruce's dad looked at him and said, you've been very good to us. Bruce nods and acknowledges that he had indeed been good to them. He had been a financial blessing and and so on. His dad went on and said, and I wasn't very good to you. Bruce said in that moment, the room was just shocked silent. Here's what he said about the encounter. He said, to my shock, you know, the unacknowledgeable was being acknowledged. If I didn't know better, I would have sworn an apology of some sort was being made. And it was. Here in the last days before I was to become a father, my own father was visiting me to warn me of the mistakes that he had made and to warn me not to make them with my own children, to release them from the chain of our sins. My fathers, mine and our fathers before, that they may be free. He went on to say something that I've never forgotten. He said that in our children's lives, we are either ghosts our ancestors. Those are the two options. Ghosts lay their mistakes and burdens upon their children and haunt them. And when they are gone, they just float away. But ancestors, on the other hand, ancestors stick around and continue to bear fruitful effects long after they're gone. Ancestors bless us, but ghosts haunt us. And Springsteen said on that day, his father was petitioning him to take an ancestral role in his kids' lives after being a ghost for a long, long time. And I love this story because I would argue it gives us some fresh, really helpful language and categories that we see in Scripture, especially in the narratives in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to start our year of biblical literacy by learning to study the genre of theological narrative, which is one of the primary genres we find in the Torah. And as we read and study these theological historical narratives, often multi-generational family stories, we're going to see all kinds of ghosts and ancestors, broken men and women who curse people for generations, and faithful men and women who bless their families and other people God puts around them. Today, we'll talk about the impact we hope to see in our lives through this series and through this year, and we'll start at the end of the beginning, the last chapters of the Torah. But real quick, before we get there, a lot happens before Deuteronomy chapter 30, as you well know. 
The first book, Genesis, starts with the creation and fall of humanity, then tracks God's pursuit of a specific called out family to lead by faith and bless the world through. Book two, Exodus, unpacks how God's people find themselves in slavery, how God raises Moses up as their liberator, and how even as he's freeing them miraculously, God's people keep complaining, rebelling, and choosing idolatry. But God won't quit on them. The third book, Leviticus, can get a bad rap. It lays out civil and ceremonial laws for Israel that can seem tedious, but it's all about communicating how a perfect God is making a way to dwell with sinful people. And I would just like to say, personally, as someone with OCD, I find that book strangely comforting. I think I could have really fit in back in Leviticus, you guys. (laughs) Book four, Numbers, doesn't have all that many numbers. But it does continue the story of God leading his people to the promised land despite their ongoing struggles with faith and idolatry until we get to the fifth and final book of the Torah, Deuteronomy. In Greek, Deuteronomy means second law. God gathers his people to reiterate the Ten Commandments as they're about to enter the promised land. And the book also includes Moses' last teachings at the end of his life. And that's where we'll be this morning. Moses is about to die, and he sums up the choice before the people in light of what they've been through. We'll start in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Two very distinct paths, different choices. Verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish." You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So this passage crystallizes the fundamental point of the Torah, the heartbeat of the first five books of the Bible, that the way of sin leads to chaos, destruction, death, and ruin. These ways are cursed by their very nature and will never lead to human flourishing. But on the other hand, God's ways lead to blessing, flourishing, wholeness, beauty, because he loves his image bearers and wants wholeness for them. Keep reading verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So God lays out a crossroads of sorts for his people, two starkly different paths. Path one is the path of blessing. Love God, obey him, hold fast to him, and the fruit will be, you shall live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you. This path has also been been called generational blessing, that the joy and peace and love of God flow from one generation to the next. Warm, loving relationships, wisdom, stability, God-honoring patterns and integrity and blessings grow. But on the other hand, path two is the path of curse. 
people turning from God in rebellion, ears that don't hear his wisdom, won't listen to him, hearts drawn away to love and serve idols, generational curses. And God says, if you choose this path, verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to enter. So the first path stays in the promised land with life and people flourishing. The second path gets you swept off the land where only your memory will haunt it. In other words, you'll either live like an ancestor or a ghost. Ancestors choose the path of blessing. Ghosts choose the path of curse. Now here's what's interesting to think about. The people gathered at the base of the promised land were human persons like you and I. So it's highly likely that when they are hearing this stark dichotomy, names of people who had gone before them are popping into their minds. Maybe like names of people are popping into your mind as you hear me talking about the categories of ghosts and ancestors in your life. For them on the ghost side, maybe they're thinking about people like Cain who killed his brother and jealousy and then lied to God about it. Or Lot's wife, who looks back and longing at her former wicked life in Sodom and Gomorrah, even though God's angel told her not to look back. And in a chilling moment, she turns into a pillar of salt and vanishes in the wind like a ghost. Jesus even references her and says, don't be like Lot's wife. They may be thinking about their own parents who lost the chance to enter into the promised land by their lack of faith and persistent grumbling feeling their ghost-like presence lingering in the wilderness as they died off. On the other hand, they're probably thinking about ancestors like Abraham, the OG ancestor of their faith, and ours, the man who trusted God over and over to do what he could not. They might be thinking about Noah, who pursued righteousness and walked by faith, even in the midst of rampant wickedness. Maybe Joseph or Jacob or Isaac are coming to mind. Ancestors and ghosts are scattered throughout the pages, and plenty are mixtures of both. Some chose the path of obedience and blessing. Others choose rebellion and curse. And in almost every case, their offspring and those around them received the benefits or shouldered the pain. Now, I think most of us sort of intuitively get the weight of these two categories that these two paths, because we're all affected by ghosts and ancestors. And some of us are standing on really solid shoulders, like people who loved and honored God with their lives, people who loved us, served us, blessed us, who built a healthy life and provided and helped pave the way. But others of us are starting from a spiritual deficit, having to unlearn things before you can learn the truth. Or maybe it's other forms of deficit, emotional relational, financial. You have to build up from those deficits and heal and unlearn so many things as you're trying to learn how to build a life of blessing in line with God's design. I'll give you a quick and easy example of this. I have two grandmothers. One just turned 80 and lives right, lives right next to the house I grew up in and has for all my life. I call her Mima and I'm very close to her. And I'll be telling stories about her long after she's gone. Over the course of my life, she's helped reinforce my love for Jesus and has been a tangible reminder for me that God's love is faithful and enduring. My other grandmother is, well, I don't know. She left her family when my dad was 12, never to return. I didn't know what her name was until recently. She came to visit once when I was around two, and I have one picture with her, and that's it. 
When she died, I didn't know it until years later. And when I found out, I said, oh, because her choices and decisions made her a stranger to me, a ghost. Her decisions caused untold damage to her children and left a gaping ghost-like void in the same spot I see filled by a beloved ancestor on the other side. Ancestors and ghosts, their lives can either bless us or haunt us. As we start our year of biblical literacy, we begin in this section, the Torah, which is filled with this theological historical narrative. And the word Torah actually means instruction. So these five books are a unified work meant to instruct and guide. The question becomes, what are they seeking to instruct us in? And Deuteronomy 30 gives us a key for interpreting all of the historical narrative in the Torah and the whole Old Testament. And one of our goals in this study is to learn together over the next few weeks how to rightly read and interpret this particular genre of Scripture. We're going to look at different narratives throughout the Torah who were ancestors, ghosts, or some combination of both. And we'll look at which path they walked, why they chose what they chose. And we'll see in all of it how God is continuing to work and weaving together the story of human need that eventually leads us to Christ. But the thing with narrative is you have to be discerning. Sometimes all we're told is the action someone took. Not if they were right or wrong, not God's perspective on it. You have to look at the effects sometimes. You have to keep reading and sometimes even generations later before you see the effects. And sometimes there are sinful but culturally normal beliefs and behaviors that God's people have adopted, but their presence doesn't mean they're good. Like if you've ever thought, but why is there polygamy in the Bible? Well, there are lots of things in the Bible that aren't good. Murder, theft, abuse of power, sexual sin. And one of the keys is to look at the effects. Every example of polygamy in the Bible goes terrible. All kinds of drama and chaos follow it. And with all of this, we're looking for, what we're looking for is, is this person choosing life as God designed it or not? Are they building their life as a ghost or as an ancestor? Which path did they choose? The path of blessing or curse? And what were the long-term effects? Not everyone is going to be a positive example, but they all tell us something about how to live life as God designed. And spoiler alert, what we will see in the midst of all the mess and complicated narratives is that God is pointing us to the need for one who perfectly obeys, one who perfectly chooses the path of life and blessing and tells us what the coming perfect one will have to be for these characters and for us. But today we're just going to start by setting some context and groundwork for the rest of the series and uh, just taking a minute to let the weight of Deuteronomy 30 rest on us. To just stand and, and kind of look at the different paths laid out in front of us and the stakes that come with each. So I want to offer some thoughts to set us up well. Um, but first, looking back at our passage today, there's a repeated word that stands out. And see if you can pick it out as I read part of the text again. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. First thing I want to share with us today is that today is when you choose to live like a ghost or an ancestor. I want us to grasp the urgency, the immediacy presented here, the repetition of the word today. The call is for us to listen to his instruction today, to heed his voice today, to follow him today. The fact is you were always choosing the path of an ancestor or the path of a ghost. The book of Hebrews will repeat this later saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as those in the rebellion did. And the fact is, the path of blessing offered here is attached to words of action. Words like obey, love, walk in his ways, keep his commandments. To be clear, we are not saved by our actions. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. But our legacies will be largely determined by how we respond to God saving us and trust him with the normal days in our lives, by how much we obey, love him, walk in his ways. And just hear me on this. It is possible to be a Christian and still live a rather ghostly life. No one in any culture, and certainly not in ours, will drift toward godliness. No one will become an ancestor by accident. No one will grow in maturity by happenstance. God tells the Israelites, you won't stay in the promised land by happenstance. You won't arrive at a place of spiritual health and blessing that radiates out to those around you and behind you by doing nothing. All of those desired outcomes happen by putting together a string of todays where you more often than not orient your heart and your life and decisions to God. And sometimes these moments are obvious. Like, am I going to lie? Am I going to cheat? Am I going to steal when it comes to my business, my work, my taxes? Am I going to cheat on my spouse? Am I going to put addictive and destructive substances in my body no matter the consequences? But most of the time, we're choosing between life and good or death and evil and the repetitive, monotonous patterns and rhythms of daily life. With my daily habits and patterns, am I building a legacy of faith and love and wisdom or am I being conformed to the normative, sinful patterns of the world around me, cultivating apathy and rebellion? One pastor said it like this, the God of the Bible is the God of life but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's just as happy to see you die at the end of a drug binge as to see you die from a cardiac event after a lifetime of gluttonous eating. He laughs as he watches relationships die in jealousy, idle gossip, and unforgiving bitterness. He rejoices at division and greed and all the sins we tend to think of as small. Maybe think about it this way. Think of a prominent ghost in your life someone in your family tree or someone with some proximity to you who affected your life negatively in some way. Do you think they woke up one morning and just decided to be a ghost? That they were like, on this morning, Tuesday, July 10th, I've decided that for the rest of my life, I will be a force of chaos and destruction. I've decided that my absence and apathy will be a defining characteristic of my legacy. 
I don't think that's the way it happened. The people that came before you, some of them were ghosts and didn't mean to be. And that should be sobering for all of us. But they still cause chaos and ripple effects, not just in your life, but for generations to come. Many ghosts caused curses while searching for contentment, caused harm while searching for happiness. We humans make rash, impulsive, unwise decisions all the time because we foolishly think that we're making a decision that affects the next five minutes only. We're not ever doing that. At all points, you are deciding what kind of person you will be, what kind of legacy you will leave. Small decisions build on each other and end up setting the course for the kind of life you live the way you spend your time and resources, the fruit of your life and the legacy you leave behind. In fact, is how we live our days is how we live our lives. And then the second thing I want to share with you is that thinking about tomorrow will help you choose the path of blessing today. Just like wise, thoughtful parents do with their children in this passage, God is tying a current decision to outcomes far in the future. If you choose this path, there will be all of these blessings 5, 10, 50 years down the road. But if you choose this path, you're not going to like the future. You will be swept off of the promised land. And something rather sobering to me is that we humans in general tend to have a collective blind spot with this. It seems that very few people are good at reverse engineering their life. We tend to just live life reactively rather than set a course for where we want to end up and proactively work to get there. This is very easy to see in financial planning or lack thereof, but I also see it in other random areas. Like recently, our family was driving in the upstate and we passed an old farmhouse that had a beautiful yard with three or four rows of these incredibly mature trees just lined up in a row. And my wife made the comment as we drove by, she was like, you know, when I see like rows of trees like that, that are, you know, 50, 100 years old, it's just one of the most beautiful things in the world to me. And I was like, I agree. And you know what's crazy about that is that that outcome required someone 60 years ago to say, You know what I'd like this to look like in 60 years? You know what I would love for my children and grandchildren to be able to enjoy one day far in the future? I'm going to plant some trees in a row. (laughs) Does that make sense? It's just amazing, that, that foresight, that forethought, and the blessings that come from it. I have a friend whose grandfather bought a small cabin on a tiny lake in the upstate many years ago before he passed. Nothing fancy at all but he left it to all of his children with the stated purpose that it be a place that brings them all together, that brings their families together. And they've slowly upgraded it over the years. And to this day, their entire family gathers there each year on 4th of July and sleeps all over the place. And it's just this beautiful thing that someone came up with many years ago and planned and made a way for it to happen. And when I see or hear those types of things, I immediately see the wisdom and reverse engineering your life and foresight and forethought. 
And the same concept applies spiritually, but we don't often apply it there. Like, what kind of person do you want to be spiritually in 10, 20, 40 years? What kind of fruit would you want to see in the lives of those around you? Now reverse engineer that and make sure you're doing the inputs today that would lead you to that outcome. Make sure your prayer life is going in that direction. Make sure your Bible intake is pointing in that direction. Make sure your practice of community and spiritual disciplines are pointing you in that direction. And now my hope is that this sermon is encouraging and inspiring for us. I don't mean this to be taken in a negative way at all. More of a blanket concern for all of us. But recently I was reading through a bunch of our uh, member checkup forms. The forms we uh, get our missionary members to fill out to tell us how they're doing, how we're doing as leaders to re-up their membership here. And I was reading a whole bunch of these at once one day. And we asked specifically about Bible reading and prayer life on there. And as I read a bunch of those at once, specifically the Bible reading part stuck out as a weakness to me. It just seemed lacking in frequency and regularity, which is one reason why we're doing the year of biblical literacy, to make sure we're helping all of us grow in our understanding. And I know that a lot of us are in extremely busy seasons of life, but as I read through a batch of responses, I had this passing thought, if this doesn't change, I'm not sure if some of us are going to make it. Not here, not in this day and age with all the societal and technological pressures we face. And obviously there's more to following Jesus than meditating on scripture. And there's certainly been seasons of weakness in that area in my life. But I've mentioned the words of John Piper on this. He said, I have never met a mature, fruitful, strong, spiritually discerning Christian who is not full of scripture, devoted to regular meditation on scripture, and given to storing it in the heart through Bible memorization. The fact is, to respond to God, we have to know God. To respond to God's word, we have to hear it, read it, ingest it, meditate on it. It is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, like Hebrews says, because our God is alive and active, and he speaks to us again and again through his word. So I would encourage all of us, myself included, to think about not only tomorrow, but next year and 30 years from now, and 50 years from now, and let that shape the decisions that we make today. And here's the thing, as we wrap up the beginning to our journey, I don't know exactly where you are spiritually, mentally, emotionally, as we begin this new year. I don't know what this particular dot on the timeline of your life feels like. I will say that if you haven't yet, there will likely come a point in your life where you will realize just how quickly life is passing you by and you'll kind of freak out a bit. That's happening to me right now. And I uh, joked with a few friends recently and I told them that I'm getting geared up for an epic midlife crisis. <laughs> Not anything sinful, of course, just some real head scratching, what's gotten into Brandon type stuff, okay? I'm taking suggestions if you have any ideas, by the way. But my hunch is that we're all over the map. Some of you, I imagine, are at a crossroads of sorts right now. And for a while now, you've been making a decision about this whole following Jesus thing. Like, is it worth it? Is he worth it? Well, I think it's worth it down the road in my 70s. I just want to tell you this morning, you're no different from the people standing on the outskirts of the promised land. 
the same choices before you, the same offers being held out to you. And I will tell you that God has no hesitation about the worth of following and trusting him. Some of you are bored, lackadaisical. It's been a while since you've been passionate about anything, much less your faith. You've been numb to sleep by any of the socially acceptable drugs of choice all around us, social media, entertainment, or whatever it is for you. Maybe today your realization is that your life is indeed passing you by. You only get one after all. Maybe today you realize that you can be a Christian and still live a pretty ghostly life. And I hope you don't want that anymore. That's the path you've been on, but you don't have to stay there. And listen, you don't have to move to Africa and dig wells while also solving a local refugee crisis to live a meaningful life, okay? You may be called to that and that'd be awesome, but you can be an ancestor right where you are in your everyday ordinary life. You can be the kind of person who, if you change jobs, your coworkers are legitimately sad because you cared about them and your presence blessed them in uncommon ways. You can be an ancestor wherever you are. Some of you are misaligned. What you say you want your life to be about and what your life is actually about are two different things. Who you would say you want to be is basically a stranger and who you are has no plan to become that person. There's some incongruence, some hypocrisy, some things that aren't lining up. And maybe today you need to be honest and say, yeah, I talk like I'm a person who's doing the thing, but in reality, I'm not doing the thing. I'm not that person. I need to own that and make a plan to become that person. Some of you are not just misaligned, you're outright hiding sin in your life. You're hiding things and believing that it will have no effects, that it will never come to light. It may not sound like good news, but the good news is Christ says you are wrong. He says nothing will stay hidden forever and what is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. You can reveal it now or he will reveal it later. So please do not be a fool and hide what cannot remain hidden. There's grace and mercy for you. Some of you maybe are realizing what a rich spiritual inheritance you've been blessed with. You're like, man, I've been set up so well by many that came before me. There's a trail of blessing behind you. And maybe there's even been a time or two where you've taken that for granted. Maybe you even thought your story isn't much of a quote testimony, not one of the dramatic ones. And can I just say, if that's you, that a cascading heritage of spiritual blessing is exactly the testimony I pray my kids will have. I'd love for those who come after me to be spared from as much pain, destruction, and foolishness as possible. And what a testimony that would be. So if that's you, please stop and just thank God for those people in your life. Like how amazing is God that he set you up in a way that you can build on what you've been given. Some of you are already in your 60s, 70s or later, and you're on the tail end of life's journey. Your string of todays are getting shorter and you feel it in your bones. If that's you, I just want to remind you that you have a gift in front of you called today. That God is not done with you yet. No matter how you feel about your life thus far, it is not too late for you. He wants to use the todays you have left to grow you and bless others until he welcomes you home. And then lastly, some of you are feeling the weight of the ghostliness in your life. Either that of your past, 
the damage that you've caused personally or the despair of what you've inherited. You wouldn't think a ghost would weigh that much, but there's not much more heavier or more discouraging or more disempowering than being surrounded or dominated by ghosts, by the curse of life apart from God. And some of you may believe that's all you'll ever be. You've done too much in your past. The weight of your ghost moments feels like too much. It feels too late for you, like you're destined to be a ghost because after all, that's all you've ever known. If you feel any amount of that, I have wonderful news for you. Christ has never met a ghost he could not turn into an ancestor, amen? Because every single time that person trusts in Christ for the first time or the thousandth time, the life and power of the risen Christ flow into that person by the power of the Spirit wherever it's needed. So I don't care how heavy the string of ghosts is in your past. I don't care how much you've done that has weighed you down. Christ is not afraid of your scars, your baggage, or your sin. It is not too much for him. It never will be. The fact is you can be the turning point. You can be where the story changes, where curse becomes blessing and death becomes life. It is never too late to repent, to own your sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care if you're drowning in spiritual apathy up to your neck. I don't care how twisted your double life is or how disastrous the fallout will be. Right now, today, you can choose life. You can repent. You can turn God is not done with you. And when he's involved, it's never too late. And all of this is true. All of that is possible because Christ is the ancestor we all need. We can and will study the lives found through the Torah and gain insight from their stories, but we can only learn from those ancestors. Salvation will come from the one and only perfect ancestor, the spotless son of God who took on human flesh on our behalf. Change comes from seeing that his righteousness alone covers our wickedness and our most ghost-like of moments. The ghosts in you or the ghosts around you may feel heavy, but through Christ we are adopted into the family of God, given a new nature, new desires, a new family tree even, and destined to be shaped into the image of Christ, risen in power. And when you choose life, his life No ghost in you or around you stands a chance against him. Please pray with me.